Good morning, everyone. And we're starting today, session six of the Holy Family. We're getting down there. Uh, we are going to cover today the Holy Family proper. In other words, St. Joseph, St. Mary, and Jesus. We're going to talk about these as the new Eden and connect, really, St. Joseph, St. Mary, and Jesus to the Garden of Eden and use a word, recapitulation. And when, uh, when our deacon enters the room, he'll say, oh, goody, because he wrote his master's thesis on recapitulation in St. Irenaeus of Lyon. And so we'll get to that. And we're also going to use a book today. I'm going to uh, quote a few different pages from a book that we were, I was initially thinking we were going to use more, uh, but then I found it to be not quite lining up with what we're doing. But the First Society by Scott Hahn is The Sacrament of Matrimony and the Restoration of the Social Order. It's a very good book. I, I was hoping it would line up perfectly with what we're doing. It doesn't quite, but there's some good stuff that we're going to draw from today uh, as well. So if you're interested in that book and interested in talking about the Holy Family further, that's a good place to go, especially matrimony. But as we begin today, I shall say the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has committed to thy holy church the care and nurture of thy people, enlighten with thy wisdom those who teach and those who learn, that rejoicing in the knowledge of thy truth, they may worship thee and serve thee from generation to generation, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so we begin. We have an icon, an image here of St. Irenaeus of Lyon, and you would guess that Lyon is in France, and you'd be correct. But uh, St. Irenaeus lived from the year 130 to 210 or something like that. So this is, I, get, I don't know if it's still considered the sub-apostolic period, but uh, apostolic, of course, the apostles. Sub-apostolic is the, those that, that followed directly on after the apostles. Uh, but nevertheless, he's very close to the beginning of the church in... Uh, the people of God. And so when we talk about the Holy Family as recapitulation, you might sort of get from that notion the idea that we're going to go back and have a redo, sort of like a start over. Or, um, as you'd find in the book uh, On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, The image of God had been tarnished, and so what does an iconographer, what does a painter do but come and have the subject sit again and bring the old icon up and paint it one more time, having the ideal sit for his portrait again. So it's kind of like that in what's going on when we see this holy family. Turning to St. Irenaeus of Lyon, In just a moment, well, here's what I'm saying. St. Irenaeus was perhaps the first to develop a notion that the Holy Family, in the Holy Family, we see a recapitulation, a do-over of the first family of Adam and Eve. The ideal was fallen and destroyed in Eden, and the destroyed and fallen was made ideal again in Bethlehem and Nazareth, sometimes thought of as not only a new Adam and a new Eve, but a new Eden, in this little family, the Holy Family, the whole purpose of doing this course 
is building ourselves up for this idea of the new Eden, the new Adam, the new Eve, the Holy Family as recapitulation. So, first of all, we begin with what St. Irenaeus says about St. Mary as the new Eve. You could probably guess in your own mind what, what he's going to say, but we'll read it anyway. He says, The good news of the truth announced by an angel to Mary, a virgin subject to a husband, undid the evil lie that seduced Eve, a virgin espoused to a husband. And so we see in an angel coming with a message to a virgin espoused to a husband, something that ought to ring a bell in our minds, because a fallen angel came and had a message for a virgin who was espoused to a man. She believed a lie, and it broke the relationship. Here, an angel comes with a message. She receives the message. It's a message of obedience rather than disobedience. And she, in a sense, undoes the evil of the lie that seduced Eve, a new Eve in the Virgin Mary. As Eve was seduced by the word of an angel and so fled from God after disobeying his word, like in a mirror image opposite, Mary in her turn was given the good news by the word of an angel and bore God in obedience to his word. As Eve was seduced into disobedience to God, so Mary was persuaded into obedience to God. Thus the Virgin Mary became the advocate of the Virgin Eve. In other words, uh, here is a woman that is trodden down, Eve, and Mary comes and extends a hand and says, come with me, we're going to fix this. It's a redemptive act, and it's, uh, it's one that the church has always looked to and said in the face of a call of God upon a person who doesn't understand the implications of the call, the ideal response is to trust and to acquiesce, not to say, I need more information about this before I can ever be expected to acquiesce to this request because this could change my whole life. What about my career? I was hoping to have a house with a picket fence and this, this could mess the whole... You know, that kind of uh, talk doesn't exist in her. She says, if the Lord has called me to do this, it's got to be good. I trust him. Let's do it. And Eve, on the other hand, has said, I think I understand that if I stand in opposition to God, I could probably do better on my own. Let's see if I can't give it a try, which is the exact opposite. (laughs) So this is a recapitulation of Eve in the behavior and the obedience of St. Mary. Any questions about that before we turn to Jesus? Thoughts about that? So we have a new Eve. What about a new Adam? Well, we don't have to turn to St. Irenaeus of Leon to hear about a new Adam. We can turn to St. Paul of Tarsus. In Romans chapter 5, we'll learn all about a new Adam in Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, chapter, or verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, 
after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam is the figure of him who was to come. All have transgressed in attitude, in, in attitude, that's true, in Adam. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. That's the King James Version, which is a little bit of a verbal pretzel. But the basic idea is, in Adam, all have fallen, and in Christ, he has been recapitulated as the new Adam, by which uh, one man, Jesus Christ, Christ, great the grace of God, has abounded unto many. You could see how Jesus, in a sense, is a redo of Adam. In other words, uh, he sits for the portrait again, and the portrait is drawn again of humanity as the image and likeness of God. Perfect. Now we're doing okay. Okay? So, um, Jesus as a recapitulation in Adam it's, it's possible to see more than just what St. Paul is saying. Uh, we consider all that is repaired in this recapitulation. We see Jesus here in his resurrection is dragging Adam by the hand to repair what Adam has done. Um, and, and if I'm not mistaken, that's Eve behind him, unless it's St. Mary, but I think it's probably Eve. Oftentimes you'll see in the resurrection Jesus has got by the hand both Adam and Eve. He's saying, come on, guys, let's, <laughs> let's get it together. Uh, come with me. But think about all these parallels. Adam is ejected from paradise for his selfishness. Jesus comes down to us from paradise for our salvation. The exact opposite takes place in Christ. Adam destroys his own sinless state because he is created without sin. But he destroys his sinless state through disobedience to the Father. Jesus preserves his sinless state through obedience to the Father. It's a fix, a redo, a a recapitulation. He's sitting for the portrait to have it made again. Adam's fall brings, this is an interesting one, Thorns and the sweat of the brow. You remember the, the, the nature of the curse is, you know, by the sweat of your brow, uh, you will earn your food or however the, the phrase goes. Uh, and the, the earth will produce for you thorns and thistles. I don't know what it was like before that, but uh, they had a lot more work to do afterwards, apparently. Now Jesus takes thorns in the, in the crown of thorns and the sweat of his brow for Adam's sake, Our, uh, little hints there that this is uh, these two things are not unconnected. Jesus is a new Adam. Adam sinned and found clothing to cover himself. Jesus did not sin and was stripped of his clothes. These parallels keep uh, lining up. Adam fell at the sight of a tree. Jesus conquered sin and death by means of a tree. You'll hear that sung even during Eastertide, that as the enemy conquered by a tree, by this tree he may be overcome. 
in the proper preface for Eastertide, uh, that theme of recapitulation is making its way even into our own uh, liturgy. But in general, Adam's disobedience is overcome by Jesus's perfect obedience. Sounds a lot like a new Adam and a new Eve. And in a sense, we have a new Eden. Now, you, you may argue about the point that, well, Adam and Eve were essentially husband and wife, and Mary and Jesus are mother and son. We have a, we have a, uh, a non-parallel element from here. Uh, you know, I say, yeah, okay, okay. But <laughs> you could also think this is an interesting one. Mary, or not Mary, Eve is taken from the side of Adam. Jesus is taken from the womb of Mary. So it's like another one of these, boy, that's really close, isn't it? Um, we also will look not so much as the, at the familial role of mother and father, or mother and, uh, husband and wife, or mother and son, as we simply will their role, their role, is, uh, it, Mary and Jesus, their role is a recapitulation and a fixing of what a man and a woman had done long ago. It's being repaired now. What about Joseph? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Here's the famous phrase the bishop said it at the clergy conference. Jesus, there's enough volumes to fill the world. But everything he did and said and everything that has been written. St. Mary, enough volumes to probably fill a library. You know, three stories high. Joseph, three and a half, uh, three by five index card you could have... <laughs> Oh, boy. Sorry, Joseph. Um, it is true. He is the, uh, the, the, you could say, the adoptive father of, of Christ himself. But nevertheless, uh, here Eve was born of Adam and Jesus was born of Mary. Is Joseph just not as important? Consider that Joseph, likewise, following the theme here, Joseph obeys God. His own idea was to put this woman away. Quietly, you know, I guess that's kind of nice. But, you know, let's draw the line here, Mary. Uh, we're not going to stand for this kind of thing. Uh, but he receives uh, a message from the Lord in which he probably could have been made fun of in his own community, but said, no, no, I believe the message that I received. And he, Joseph obeys. He leads by example in that obedience he took the lowest place. He kept his words to a minimum. That, that can easily be seen as a virtue in itself. <laughs> There's not much recorded of what St. Joseph said. Uh, and he raised Jesus, obviously, in a stable home. Pardon the pun, a stable home. <laughs> Anyhow... But you don't hear about, you know, how the Lord Jesus was raised in a dysfunctional home and the Father was always gone and it was, you know, difficult. No, there's nothing about that. Uh, he taught him a trade of carpentry, which if you've ever been to Jerusalem and there's not many trees around, you realize it was probably masonry, stonework, um, which if you thought he was a strong man for being a carpenter, he's even stronger for being a man who worked with stone. He was a, a technon, which is the, the word, I believe that's right, uh, in other words, he was a, a techie. Um, he worked on stuff to make stuff build and be built. Um, interpreted or translated as carpenter sometimes. But he was willing to submit when the Lord asked him to do something. 
And he was willing to be submitted to when Jesus submits to him as they find him at the temple. There's a pretty good model here uh, for a father in St. Joseph. So while we can't say he's the new Adam or something like that, he definitely fits in the Holy Family, that's for sure. Um, Here's a couple pages of quotations you'll enjoy from an emerging scholar priest. The birth from Mary assures us that Jesus was truly human, of the same descent from Adam that all the rest of the human race is from. In the economy of recapitulation, the virgin birth by Mary repeats and corrects the birth of Adam from the virgin soil of the earth. Christ's birth from the virgin Mary recapitulates Adam's birth from the virgin earth. Just as Adam is recapitulated in Christ, so Eve is recapitulated in St. Mary. Irenaeus connects the obedience of Christ, the new Adam, with the obedience of the tree of the cross, as well as the obedience of the Virgin Mary. Each in its own way fulfills the fittingness of redemption or the economy of salvation. Just as the first sin was accomplished by Adam with his helpmate Eve, the recapitulation of this event must be undone by Christ with his helpmate St. Mary to fulfill the economy of God's redemption. By Father Joshua Kimbrell, (laughs) in his master's thesis, Irenaeus on Anthropology, Christ as the First Man, page 33, 39 through 40, Gordon Conwell, 2021. (laughs) Woo! And he's turning red here. But anyhow, uh, uh, this, this notion of recapitulation, especially as expressed by Irenaeus, comes as a topic in our Sunday school class at quite a timely moment when uh, Father Josh will be ordained to the priesthood this Saturday. Nevertheless, the idea you can see here, uh, you could probably, I've listed probably seven or eight different ways in which we've received a sign that there's a recapitulation going on. You could probably go on and on and on uh, about the new Adam, the new Eve, therefore the new Eden. Any comments about that before we go on to the next portion? You never heard that before, the recapitulation idea? Well, the new Adam, you probably heard from the book of Romans, you know, basically that all fall in, in, in Adam, and in a similar way, all may be saved in Christ. But that element of, uh, of the Mary, St. Mary as the new Eve, uh, many churches tend to downplay St. Mary because St. Mary's been overplayed in other churches. And so we say, oh, we want to stay away from it as much as possible. That may be part of the reason you never heard that before. But it's actually kind of right in front of you. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but speaking more, more specifically about the, the purpose of this whole class, about the Holy Family, we'll, we'll hear now from Scott Hahn and some of his comments about covenant and family in the New Testament. He says, Matthew opens his book, if you notice the the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the book is opened about this new covenant, New Testament, with a list of family ties. Isn't that interesting? The first thing is a genealogy. Family, 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 right from the beginning. The concepts of covenant and family are intrinsically related Covenant oaths, such as those used for marriages and adoptions, were the means of forging family relationships. In the new covenant, we are all brought into a family relationship with the Lord. And so here when we speak of the Holy Family, isn't interesting. 
The very first chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel is all about familial relationships. And then the very first thing that happens is a family. There's a mama and a papa and a baby. (laughs) Uh, The first society. Speaking of Jesus, this is a good quote. Jesus could have burst onto the scene in any number of ways. He could have walked out of the wilderness a fully formed adult. He could have been raised in a royal court. He could have descended from heaven amid thunder, lightning, and fireworks. But in his perfect wisdom, he decided it would be most suitable to his nature and ours to be born like any other baby and raised by a carpenter and a common maiden. Part of the, the awe and amazement that ought to hit us each Christmas when we see a crash scene, which just seems so normal because it's, it's like Walmart changing the colors from uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas. Oh, it's that time of year again. You see a crash, you say, oh, here we go. I you know, haven't bought presents yet, all that kind of thing. No, no. Whenever there's a crash at a four-way stop, there ought to be fender benders and, and uh, cars parked and uh, police controlling traffic or something because something incredible, astounding is shown in that little picture of Joseph and Mary huddled over a little uh, manger. Uh, if it was um, just a picture of humanity, you'd say, yeah, we see that all the time. But the fact that there's divinity within the humanity and the fact that we're invited then to participate in that holy family, holy cannoli, there ought to be car wrecks. Every time it it should be illegal to put a crash on your lawn, not because of the religious implications and and it would offend people, but because it would cause car wrecks and distracted driving. Here's what I'm talking about. In the same way, then, that the domestic church of the family is the first center of religious practice for young children, the domestic church of the holy family was the seed of the church. It was the beginning of the church right there. We can even say that the church is an extension of the holy family through Jesus Christ, Mary, and Joseph were the first people to be brought into a family relationship with the Lord. Now the church is the universal expression of that family that are brought into familial relationship with Jesus Christ. The first ones were St. Mary and St. Joseph. And now, uh, from then on, we're all invited into the family of God and not, uh, not only the idea of slaves or servants, but friends and children of God. That's something more. Mary and Joseph were in constant contact with the Son of God. Isn't that an interesting thing? What the church is always trying to encourage you to do is to be in constant contact with the Son of God. And what St. Paul is saying is the ideal is to pray unceasingly, to always be in constant contact with with the Lord. And St. Mary and St. Joseph were doing it automatically. He was in their dwelling place, in their house. Every interaction with Jesus was a kind of prayer, in a sense. You're praying to Jesus. There's Jesus right there. He's in your family. They submitted themselves to his divine will while he humbly submitted himself to their earthly authority in the temporal image of his filial obedience to his Father in heaven. You can tell that in that last sentence there we've gotten to uh, the Roman Magisterium's catechism. We, We switch the language from stuff people readily understand to the temporal image of his filial obedience to his Father in heaven. It's good stuff, but it's still a little bit uh, uh, 
more heavy duty in terms of theology. This is Scott Hahn, too. He's writing as a Roman Catholic. In a very real way, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are the earthly manifestation of the covenant itself. That is, the Holy Family is the church and the family in its essential perfection. I think this is our last one. The Holy Family, then, is this perfect society in miniature. Everything we could ever hope for in this life was contained in that one perfect family. The perfect marriage is the perfect church. The perfect church is the perfect society. And they all have Jesus Christ at the very center. I'm looking at this woman who's about to be married. <laughs> and uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to, to begin to consider this. One person has already said, I never thought of that. Well, um, this will probably take a little while for it to sink in at the same time. We oftentimes think of coming to church as sort of like a duty, like you have to, uh, well, I don't, but uh, you got to get your taxes done once a year. Oh, it's Sunday again. I got to go to church. Um, I, I, I uh, really regret that that mentality has cropped up in any sense in the church uh, because it's really more like uh, the center of everything, the center of the universe. And you say, oh, no, our church is only made of, uh, you know, uh, plywood and, and uh, drywall and, and, and construction grade paint and two by fours. You don't want to come to our church. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do. Um, because what's going on here isn't the building. It's the family. That's why I keep emailing you all, dear St. George family. Because it's a little family, right? But it's not a family divorced from all the other families. It's a family married to all the other families. We're all actually in one big family. And Jesus Christ is the center, just like the Holy Family was a little miniature of the whole church. It's a pretty uh, mind-blowing mind, uh, concept. Here on our last slide, we'll, we'll consider uh, broadening this to what we've covered in our class so far. Since we've gotten... In this holy family, icon of icons, image of images, we've gotten ourselves to understand that this is, in a way, a new Eden. In the holy family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we see a recapitulation of the family of Eden. What about the rest of the stuff we've talked about so far? This is also a recapitulation, at least in... in, uh, Paul, Father Paul Rivard's theology, a recapitulation of the patriarchs, some great father of the church that everyone is to look to, the great uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which are impressive in one way and head-scratching in another way that indicate there's got to be a better patriarch coming because, ooh, you know, you recall us talking about we're talking about the Holy Family, and here's Abraham lying about his wife so that she'll be taken into a harem and he won't be harmed. Oh, you know, this needs to be recapitulated. This needs to be... The, whatever patriarch we're going to genuflect to needs to be a patriarch who takes it on himself, the punishment that's deserved for others. He takes it on himself because he's the true patriarch. So here we have a recapitulation of the Old Testament patriarchs. What about the kings? Oh, it's easy. Now you get it. Right? <laughs> it's a recapitulation of the kings. 
You remember that uh, Samuel was disappointed in himself because apparently he had said something or he had behaved in such a way to lead the people of God to want a king rather than to be satisfied with God as their king. And the Lord says, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But we'll give them a king. They want kings. Here's a king. They give you Saul. They give you David. They give you uh, Solomon. And they give you a whole list of other kings following that. And in each one of those kings, even the best of the kings uh, and the nation of Israel would still look to David as the best king. You don't have to read very far into the history of King David to find, ooh, if this is the king, if this is a king who would stay home from a battle and take someone else's wife and then call the husband of that wife home because he got her pregnant and see if he wouldn't quick quick sleep with her so that he could be tricked into thinking that it was his child and when he wouldn't to have him killed so that he could hide his iniquity. Okay, you know, this is, uh, this is, what is it, Dr. Phil? This is Dr. Phil. <laughs> we don't need Dr. Phil. We need a king, like a king king, the king of kings. We need the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. We need a king king. Can't be this one. This could only be a shadow. It would need to be recapitulated. (laughs) And when uh, the Lord comes, indeed, they say, the kingdom of God is nigh. And how is the kingdom of God nigh? The king is nigh. The king is here. You can't get any closer to the kingdom than to be near the king himself. We go on. The Song of Songs. Okay, we we look at the Song of Songs and we see on its surface a story of King Solomon and one of the many women that he was in love with, a romance. And we think it can't be that. It can't be one of his 700 wives and 300 concubines. Oh, she's a composite. You know, this woman is a composite of all of the women I love, all thousand of them. Uh... (laughs) No, we're asking ourselves, where is the, the lover who's faithful and who has got that one bride and he's willing to give anything for her, he's willing to give himself for her in such a way that she would also love and respect him above all others. Where is that uh, romance story? This Song of Songs thing with Solomon is going to have to be recapitulated somehow. It's going to have to be fixed Because this is a a type or a shadow, but we can't rely on Song of Songs itself if we want to look at what what love is about. And then we look uh, at the New Testament ideal. You could say, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, St. Paul writes to us about what what Christian matrimony is all about. In a sense, Christian matrimony is a participation in that holy family. Because you've got Christ and the church and they're being married together and there's a union, a constant interaction. Christ is at the center. There's uh, 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 almost a a Trinitarian-like relationship of each one sacrificing for the other in the New Testament ideal. And we see it in this little microcosm of the family, the holy family, uh, St. Mary submits to the will of God, though she doesn't fully understand. 
St. Joseph submits to the will of God that it might cost him his reputation, make him look bad in the community or something like that. Um, you know, you could imagine people smirking and saying, oh, yeah, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sure. That's, you know, if my wife ever told me that. But he receives a vision and says, okay, all right, I'll acquiesce. And, of course, the, uh, Christ at the center of this holy family. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty incredible thing to finally get to the holy family in the New Testament itself and find that uh, whatever, whatever pastor or theologian told you you don't need to read the Old Testament was wrong because the Old Testament is being fulfilled all over the place, but especially in this little holy family in Bethlehem and in Nazareth. Um, we've got a couple minutes. Any comments or questions? You should have some. Oh, I've got plenty. He's got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a whole dissertation. Uh, to... uh, so one thing I want to say about St. Joseph is we downplay him as a minor character. But you have to understand, nowhere is St. Mary's genealogy given in the New Testament. Jesus is the son of David, becomes his foster father, the descendant of David. And at this time, your foster father was considered your father. It didn't matter if he was a foster father or not. So, Joseph is critical for us to understand Jesus fulfilling the Messianic, Davidic kingship. Um, and furthermore, an idea that Jesus was sort of his divinity was sort of hidden, so that Satan came along to swallow up Jesus and was destroyed when he swallowed up divinity. Uh, early church fathers say that St. Joseph was integral to this, that he was protecting Mary's virginity and Jesus' identity, being the husband of Mary. Uh, so he's a minor character, and there's not much biblical space devoted to him, but he's important. Um, another thing is, um, so they, they, they never heard of the you know, new Adam and new Eve, Concept. I actually believe the idea of you have is obviously straight from the scriptures, but I actually believe the idea of you Eve is too. In John's Gospel, which is the latest one we have, several times Saint Mary is referred to as woman, which, which should remind us of the first woman with the man in the Garden of Eden. And if you look at the cross when Christ gives John to his mother, Mary is never called Mary, she's called the woman, and she's called mother. That should make us think of the woman in the first garden and the mother in the first garden. Um, and then, as early as Justin Martyr in the mid second century, the fathers immediately pick up on this new Adam and Eve parallel and continue that forward um, throughout the history of the church. So it's, it's an old idea, and I believe it's a scriptural idea as well. And as Father Paul said, just because some people have gone overboard, perhaps. Um, with the devotion to St. Mary does not mean that, that just because something is abused doesn't make it wrong. Any other comments or questions? Going once. Going twice. Sold. All right. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.